Brethren, I invite you to turn in your copies of the Scripture to Numbers chapter 11. We'll have two primary texts today, Numbers 11, 16 through 30, and then Acts 2, 1 through 4. But I'll also be reading uh, from John's Gospel chapter 3 regarding the Holy Spirit as Jesus confronts Nicodemus with the necessity of being born again. Let's begin in Numbers chapter 11. Just by way of reference, this particular chapter is speaking about God giving quail to the people of Israel when they complained in the wilderness that they only had manna to eat, even though that manna was a miraculous provision of God himself. Uh, They grumbled and complained and asked for meat, and God gave it in abundance, as you're about to see. Uh, But in the midst of that, the work of the Holy Spirit is pictured and Pentecost itself is prefigured. So here from 11, Numbers 11, beginning in verse 16, this is the very word of God. So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you, and will put that same upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it yourself alone. Then you shall say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it is well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month, until it comes out your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever come up out of Egypt? And Moses said, The people whom I I am among are six hundred thousand men on foot, yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the seventy elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other Medad. And the spirit rested upon them and they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Then Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to the camp, 
he and the elders of Israel. And now from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And lastly, from John's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 through verse 8. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter in a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God remains forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, as we once again look into your word and we see the work of the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the one who opens eyes and unstops ears, who enlivens hearts to be born again, we give thanks that you in your mighty decree, in your eternal purposes, have sent into your church this mighty Spirit, the one who provided for the people of Israel in the wilderness, the one who, on the day of Pentecost, in the book of Acts, enlivened your disciples to preach the word of God to every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And Father, the one who is gathering a people unto your name, of which we are a part, with gladness in our hearts this day, we remember the work of the Spirit. And we pray that your scriptures would illumine our minds that we might understand it all the more and be conformed to the image of your dear Son, our Savior. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Today we remember the great mighty act of God in the bestowing of the Holy Spirit, the great comforter upon the church. Of the five holy days recognized by the church since the Reformation, Pentecost is the last holy day and commemorates the coming of God's Spirit as promised by our Lord in John's Gospel in chapters 3, 7, and 14. There is a uniqueness in the New Covenant beyond that of the Old Covenant in the activity of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at that today. The very covenant itself is witnessed by the Holy Spirit in us, and this is told to us in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 15 through 18. It is there that we read, But the Spirit... But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us 
For after he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. The writer of Hebrews, I believe was Paul, at this point is saying, when the Holy Spirit is bestowed upon the person who believes, certain things are expelled from that life. And certain things become the new nature. The new nature is the laws of God are written on their hearts and minds. And the things that are expelled are the the remembrance of sin no more. Just as Jesus proclaimed in John 3 to Nicodemus that he must be born of water and the Spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven, it is that same Spirit of God that indwells us, according to Paul in Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 3, and bears witness to us that we are the sons of God. It is that same Spirit. Now today I want us to consider three aspects of the giving of the Holy Spirit to the church. First, the context of the day of Pentecost. Second, the Old Testament manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the wilderness wanderings. And then the pouring out of the Holy Spirit from Acts 2 on a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Both of which are descriptions of the church of Jesus Christ in Peter's uh, second, I believe it's his, no, I believe it's his first epistle, the second chapter. Well, let's begin with Pentecost. What is Pentecost? In the Old Covenant, God established two festivals centered on the time of harvest. The time of the year of harvest. Two festivals. The two festivals were the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of First Fruits, as it is often referenced in the Old Covenant. And the second is the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's sometimes referred to as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Ingathering. These are two festivals, not five, but there are five different names given to these two feasts. The first, the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Firstfruits. And the second, the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Ingathering. Now the second feast took place in September or October on our calendars, the time of the full harvest. But the first feast, the Feast of Pentecost, happened at the beginning of the harvest time and and thus called the Feast of First Fruits. These two feasts, one at the beginning of the harvest season, the other at the end of the harvest season, commemorated and celebrated God's bountiful, bountiful provisions to his people. But something else is celebrated there too. And it becomes very clear on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Both of these feasts, the Feast of Pentecost and Tabernacles, prefigured the very work of the Holy Spirit in calling and perfecting to God a people for his own name. Both of these feasts pointed to that. And yet, the visual aspects of it were, it's harvest time. It's time to take in the fruit, the bounty of God's harvest at the beginning, Pentecost, and then later, the feasts of ingathering. On the Jewish calendar, the Feast of Pentecost, or Shavuot, 
was established by counting seven weeks from Passover. Seven weeks, so it would be 49 days. And then the following day, Shabbat, 50th day, Pentecost as we call it, was the feast that God had prescribed for his people at the end of that seven-week period. Now think about this. What, what other thing happens in, the 50, in, in a 50th time period? That's the year of Jubilee, isn't it? Seven years, and then the following year was the Jubilee when the people of Israel were given back their inheritance and the, and the, the land was to be at rest completely. It was a picture. Uh, the Jubilee year was a picture of an eternal Sabbath. Pentecost is the beginning of a Sabbath. Interestingly, in the, and I just learned this this, this past week, in the, the, the way the Hebrews calendar works, uh, it's, a, it's a, not a solar lunar calendar like ours, it's a solar calendar, calendar only. And so it has to be given an extra day at the end of the year. And that extra day is a Sabbath day in the Scriptures, the day of Pentecost. Now that's going to become important in another sermon I'm going to be preaching in a couple of weeks. My last sermon on, on uh, the Sabbath day. But for today, I just wanted to make mention of it. But for today's purposes, not only was Pentecost the day of a feast, it was an extra day in the calendar of the Hebrews that was supposed to be an extra Sabbath day. It came after the, the seventh, seventh. It was seven sevens is 49. It came on the following day, the 50th day. And that feast was a, a carryover of the previous day's Sabbath rest. They were to rest from their work as well on, this, on Pentecost and have a feast. By the way, isn't, isn't our God gracious in doing something like that? He gave them two days. It was an extra holiday. A day that they didn't have to work. And it was a day that they were expected to feast. That's profound. Two, two elements of, of the day of Pentecost are emphasized by God to His people. First, God will bring in a harvest of His own making. And second, the harvest time had just begun at Pentecost and it was a time for joy and feasting. That's the beginning of the harvest. So when we look at Acts chapter 2, which we will in a few minutes, we see that the beginning of the harvest of God, the harvesting of a people for God from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, is beginning at Pentecost in Acts 2 and continues even today until the feast of the ingathering, which is what feast? The wedding feast of the bride with his groom. The Holy Spirit's handiwork can therefore be marked by two very distinct historical events. The beginning of the harvest and the end of the harvest. This is how we are to envision the kingdom of God. It is a wheat field that will be harvested from which God will separate the wheat from the tares in the final harvest. Matthew chapter 13 verses 24 through 30. Okay, that's enough for the description of the day of Pentecost. How is it prefigured in Numbers 11? Well, as we read through our text today, I'm sure that you got a glimpse of some of the same activities that happened with the, the 70 elders and Moses uh, in the wilderness. Uh, 
as they pled for some meat to eat, God gave it to them in, in, in bulk, in plenty, so much so that it's, the description is it will come out your nostrils. What an awful description. And yet, that's how much God said, you ask for this? That, you're, you're complaining about my provisions? Okay, I'll give you a provision you can't contain. Is there someplace else in Scripture that we are told that? Isn't that in Malachi's prophecy? Tithe to me in the church and I will open the doors of heaven and pour out on you a blessing you cannot contain. This is the kind of God we serve. He's not a stingy curmudgeon. He pours it out. He pours it out. And we're going to see that in Acts chapter 2. So our text today from Numbers 11 gives us a glimpse from the Old Covenant what God is preparing to do through the Messiah, Jesus, in the New Covenant. Virtually every main event of the New Covenant, if not all of those events, are prefigured somehow in the Old Testament. The day of Pentecost is no different. Consider the parallels in Numbers 11 as a microcosm of Pentecost and that the macro application is the day of Pentecost when God pours out His Spirit on the church in Acts 2. But let's look first at, at our passage beginning in verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the Spirit that is upon you and I will put the same upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. Notice that a couple things are happening here. Moses is already the recipient of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's, who's been governing the people of God by and through the Holy Spirit. But he's become weary. He's, he's older now as well after all these years in, in the wilderness. But he's, he, those years are only going to be multiplied. Uh, uh, and he's only going to see the promised land. He's not going to set foot there. But God says in His graciousness and mercy, He says, gather to you 70 wise men, 70 elders of Israel, men who the people recognize as their elders as well, and I'm going to pour out My Spirit on them in addition to you to bear the very burden that you're bearing. Who is the... I'm going to give you a helper. Isn't that the name of the Spirit in the New Testament? The helper? I'm going to send you a helper. These 70 men who bear the same Spirit that you bear. And they will help govern the people of Israel. Notice too that Moses, remember, he's the deliverer. He's the one that brought the people out of Egypt. Out of the house of bondage. As we've already said in our worship. As we came to the Ten Commandments earlier. Moses, the deliverer of the people of Yahweh, is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And God tells him to call out a group of 70 elders unto himself on whom God will pour out His Spirit as He did with Moses. Is this not the very circumstance of our Lord and Savior who at His baptism the Spirit descended on Him like a dove? He later would call 12 disciples to Himself and promise them the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who would come upon them at our Lord's departure 
And in our text, the very Spirit that was upon Moses would be the Spirit that would descend on the 70 elders. Such was the case with Jesus and His disciples. Note as well that with the Spirit of God being upon these elders, the results produce a very particular effect. Look with me at verse 25. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him and took of the Spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the seventy elders. And it happened when the Spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. Something happens when the Spirit of God descends on a person. We don't know, we, we don't, I don't think, have a real appreciation with how important the Word of God is in our lives. I, 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 maybe more so in our church than other churches, but we still only touch on the importance of it. Think about John's Gospel, the first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A reference to our Lord and Savior. What happens when the Spirit of God descends on a person? The Word of God comes out. It it can't help but happen. That's how important it is to God the Father and God the Son. The Word has to come out. It can't be contained. It has to do all His holy will. And it won't return void, the Scriptures teach us. So the the Spirit rested on them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. So it was a prophecy for a a short time. And I I think I've got a clue as to why that was. I'll make mention of that in a few moments. But two things are evident from this passage. First of all, when God descends on a people to give them the Holy Spirit, the Word of God comes out. And this is God's sovereign work for a specific purpose. At this time, the people of Israel had complained so bitterly to God that they had no meat that God is going to turn on them with more meat than they can contain. He's going to show them, I am the God of the universe. I created all things by the power of my word and I can give you food more than you can contain. And these, But at this point in time, they have no faith. They have, remember that this is a generation who God's going to destroy. They're not, that generation's not even going to make it into the promised land because of their faithlessness. And that's what we see in, in Psalm 95. That's great psalm of worship. The end of the psalm talks about the stiff-necked people of Israel who God destroyed. That whole generation, faithless. And here they're showing their faithlessness when they plead with God. We want meat... We had it better in Egypt than we do here. Really? You're making bricks without straw? The sweat of your brow? You were in bondage? Didn't I deliver you from those things? Can't I give you meat to eat as well? Here, are, here we see 70 elders being given a miraculous gift, the gift of prophecy for the purpose of authenticating God's promise to give meat to His people in the wilderness. Often, when God makes a promise in the Scriptures, a miracle attends that promise. God does a miraculous thing to to authenticate, this is my handiwork, not somebody else's. 
these things must be done by God. Who's going to give people of that number meat enough that they can't contain it for a whole month? Even Moses says, are you going to drive herds of cattle here and sheep? Are we going to, the, the fish of the sea, are they all going to be gathered together? Jesus could have done that, right? He did it. <laughs> he multiplied the, the loaves and the fishes, didn't he? If they, there were 5,000 people there. If there were 50,000 people, he could have fed them all. 100,000. No problem. This is, this is easy work for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's going to provide for them. But he's being authenticated by this prophecy. It appears from the text that no one believed God would give meat to his people in the wilderness. Such an event would have to be miraculous. Even Moses was skeptical in verses 21 and 22. And the Lord's reply is both gracious and stern. Look at verse 23. And the Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. Wait a minute, Moses. Think about what you're saying. You're questioning my ability. Has my arm been shortened? I created the universe. This is easy work for me. Now you watch and see if I don't do this thing. That's the stern part. It basically is saying to Moses and the elders, look, believe. Walk by faith and not by sight. Moses, the deliverer of Israel, had at times a weak faith. And this was one of those times. Yet, the Lord did miraculously provide for His people. A wind arose and blew flocks of quail to the children of Israel and encircled them. The imaginary wind, birds, and the encirclement all prefigure the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. The Spirit is like a mighty wind, according to our Lord in John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 8. It blows where it, it desires. The Holy Spirit comes in the form of a bird, a dove, and descends upon our Lord at His baptism in Luke 3.22. And here, the quail are brought to feed the people. And the Holy Spirit overshadowed or surrounded or protected Mary in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 35. All of these things are, are pictured here in Numbers 11. But then in verse 26, we see two men who were not elders in Israel were empowered by the Holy Spirit as well. Eldad and Medad. I want to meet these fellows in heaven. I want to talk to them. I want to know a little bit more about them. This, as far as I know, this is the only mention of these two guys. Uh, I want to know what tribes they were from and what they said to the people of Israel. These two men were common men without positions of authority. Yet, God raised them up to proclaim God's will as prophets to Israel. Eldad and Medad. Brethren, we are descendants of Eldad and Medad. We are descendants of these two men. How is that? Well, these two common people were elevated to places of prominence by God's own choosing. Men who once were obscure, but now are eternally given places of prominence in the Word of God as prophets of God. 
Such are all of those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God in the new covenant. These are the sons of God. And if sons, then join heirs with Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul wrote. Otherwise obscure people who are made prophets of God to the world. That's how we are sons and daughters of Eldad and Medad. And this brings us to Acts chapter 2. Hear what happens on that day. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Here is the account of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church of Jesus Christ. And at the end of the chapter, we know that 5,000 people received the Spirit of God. Or excuse me, 3,000. And then later, another chapter or two later in the book of Acts, another 5,000 received the Spirit of the living God. The church, the first fruits come in on the day of Pentecost, the feast of the first fruits. Here is the account of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church of Jesus Christ. Much like that of the 70 elders in Numbers 11, this portion at the beginning of chapter 2. It was time to authenticate before men the very meaning of Shavuot, ingathering. It is time to harvest the souls of men into the body of Christ from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. It was time to begin that great work. And there is only one who can harvest men's souls, and that one is the Holy Spirit through the blood of the eternal covenant. The Spirit of God is the harvester of souls. As a rushing wind and as tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit indwells the sons of God to harvest a kingdom unto Himself. In this chapter, they are the first fruits of the harvest, those who had gathered. They were gleaned 50 days after Passover, the day of mercy and forgiveness. Jesus, the Deliverer prefigured by Moses in the Old Covenant, accomplishes for eternity that which Moses could only do temporally. He brought the people out of Egypt, but he could not save them from eternal damnation. Jesus Christ can. And He does so through the Spirit. The triune God, the Father who decreed the end from the beginning, the Son who made effectual the blood of the eternal covenant when He ascended to the throne of the Father, and the Holy Spirit who has been poured out upon the church to create a holy nation and a royal priesthood and a kingdom of prophets. These priests and kings in the likeness of Jesus Christ are now being perfected into a kingdom unto Himself. The harvest began at Pentecost. We are in the midst of the great harvest of God. It will culminate at the great wedding feast of the land, Lamb when Jesus calls all His people unto Himself and separates the wheat from the tares. Today, brother, 
brethren, we are to rejoice in God for choosing us from obscurity to be made prophets, priests, and kings in his kingdom, which began on the day of Pentecost in earnest and continues even to today, even into today. So what's our application from all this? It's simple. Rejoice. Rejoice. You are the people of God, His chosen ones, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, and we are being built up into the kingdom of Christ, which will live for eternity. Let us pray together.